0: Let's say Wichita. Okay. Okay.
1: Let's say Wichita. Wichita, Wichita. Wichita Wichita. Wichita.
0: Wichita. 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 Washington DC. How do you know? She told me she loves me. But how- oh boy it's the doom to fail podcast my name is Tim Dobbs I'm riding a parakeet today weird right with me as ever through the internet is the latest member of the shampoo of the month club Catherine Cogart
1: I just got this new PERT shampoo. What do you think?
0: Oh, it's lovely. So much bounce and shine. I, I cannot tell it's not from a commercial salon.
1: It's good to be here, by the way.
0: Catherine, uh special episode, right? One of our favorites, maybe?
1: They're all our favorites.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Uh, As regular listeners of the show know, we have a lot of different series and we cycle through them and then eventually we get to one and we go, "Man, good enough. Um, And this week we will be talking about U.S. cities. The heart of America's in U.S. cities. And Catherine, what U.S. city do you think we'll be talking about?
1: Well, I'm pleased to announce that this week we're talking about Washington, D.C., our capital.
0: Lovely. Uh, one more question for you. Uh, what is the name of the band that does our theme? What is this a pop quiz? Yes, pop quiz, Hotshot. <laughs> what do you do?
1: It's not jam toes, but it rhymes with jam toes. Is it Blamos?
0: It is. And uh, question number three: How lovely are they?
1: Almost as lovely as me.
0: Check them out, Blamos dot com. But we have a mission to get to, don't we? We sure do. And that mission is to tell you, the listener at home, all about Washington, D.C. And the way we're going to do that, a little different than normal, huh? Yeah, a little bit. So, I'm going to tell you something. Give you, I'm going to give you a scenario and you tell me what you see in your mind's eye. Listeners at home, feel free to do this as well and uh, email me what you said. I won't get it until it's too late, but I'm happy to read it. So, we're... In the middle of a Supreme Court case. National Mall? Everybody's coming out. The, the the revert was just red. So lawyers are walking out, um coming down the steps. Now now what's everybody wearing?
1: Suits. Everyone's wearing a very nice, clean pressed suit.
0: Are they uh doing anything wacky? Is there plaid involved?
1: No, unfortunately not. <laughs>
0: Maybe a uh, sneakers, that's kind of a thing, right? Garrison Keeler.
1: There might be a jogger running by with some new Nikes. No but dirt on them. New Nikes, right? Mm-hmm.
0: It's, uh, maybe he's wearing uh, uh clothing that wicks sweat away from him.
1: Yes, yes. Maybe some Gore-Tex if it's raining. Does it rain there? No, never. Never.
0: Yes, it rains there. <laughs>
1: there is no weather. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's a dome city. Okay. Which? Actually gets to my point. It's not a dome city, but the thing about DC is that it is very, you know, it's a sort of a, a, a dress in a suit kind of city. Everything's uh, bureaucratic. It's it's all ordered, right? hmm And so to buck that trend, we will be giving you kind of a weird show today. So hang on. We will hop on the metro and uh, see what's up. I don't know. What do you think? I'm on board. Literally. Whoa!
2: The fact that many Washingtonians skip town in late summer is not surprising, considering that a record high temperature of 106 degrees Fahrenheit has been reached twice, on July 20th, 1930, and August 6th, 1918. Sticky humidity is the summertime trademark, along with late afternoon, at times violent, thunder and lightning storms. For delightful weather and scenery, spring and fall cannot be beat in Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C. weather review by Sarah Amendolare. Are we supposed to be
3: talking about D.C. or something?
4: Yeah, I was born in the city. My parents originally lived in the city. I was raised in the suburbs just outside.
0: I want to talk to you about geography. I don't know where any cities are. I don't know if you know that about me. Really? I don't know where anything is. Nothing.
1: Huh, I also don't know where anything is. Let's Hmm. learn together.
0: (laughs) Oh, computer. (laughs) What have we told the listeners before about waterways and cities?
1: They're like two peas in a pod.
0: Exactly. Cities come along waterways, and Washington, D.C. is no exception. We are located at the corner of Potomac and Anacostia. Two rivers, both very important. The last time I flew into D.C., I I took like three connector flights because I'm coming out of Fresno and um, it's hard to get there. And so on my multiple flights through, they were all just, you know, a cross section of people on these flights until suddenly we're landing in D.C. And I'm looking around on this last flight and I realize almost everyone is working on a proposal, uh, reading some legislation, putting something together for a presentation for like the National Teachers Council or
4: something. Washington is like the, um, I would think it's the most geeky city in the country. I mean, there are a lot of former um, student body presidents who work there. It's not, it doesn't tend to be creative, um, like New York or Los Angeles. And people, if they don't work in government, they work in federal agencies, or they work in contractors that support the agencies, or they work for law firms that deal with the legal issues for the government and contractors and and federal agencies, um, and then there were a whole group of associations related to the Hill that want to lobby.
3: Almost like the third question out of anyone's mouth is, where do you, you know, it's like, where do you live and where do you work? And, and, how long, and how long have you been here and how long have you been here? And that's the other thing, which is a really funny question because, like, if you've been there more than, like, five years, that's a really long time in D.C. land.
4: The only item that is somewhat removed from the government um, during the dot-com era in the 90s was all the internet, all the internet startups, like AOL. Yeah, AOL is originally a, it's a Northern Virginia-based company, but it's in the metro area. UUNet was started there, um, I think 40% of all internet traffic in the United States goes through that metropolitan area. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it was huge for Northern Virginia. And then there were there were other startups that were in D.C. as well. But, um, but literally, along the Dulles axis, Dulles toll road, buildings just sprung up overnight. There was so much venture capital. I was building out space for a subsidiary of a Fortune 200 in downtown, and our architect said they couldn't throw money to build the buildings and have them built out fast enough. There just wasn't enough talent to do it all.
0: Catherine, we should have a serious talk about your education. Okay. Now, as I understand it, you're going to be graduating from college in the next few months. And with that degree, well, you know, blue sky, right? Sky's the limit. Yes. I I, want to convince you that DC has a home for you, and you know Why? Why? Because forty-six percent of DC residents hold a bachelor's degree or higher, and you could be one of those. Wow. You will be working them towards fifty percent. Neat. Greater Washington has the largest percentage of adults with advanced degrees. One fifth of adults have graduate degrees there. Wow. You care about women's issues, don't you? Uh um. don't you? of local women have bachelor's degrees or higher. This is the highest percentage in the nation, which honestly kind of feels like it reflects poorly on the nation, but uh, it's only a little lower than the average, though, than, than the number for both men and women. Yeah. So, still...
4: Okay, so you're in a metropolitan area where everybody's college-educated, or huge numbers of people are college-educated. Well, how do you separate yourself from the market? You have a graduate degree. The
3: city is pretty well set up, I think, for people in my position who are young professionals. I mean, you go out, everyone is in the same age, like, place in life as you. You're just surrounded by... Some people who do a lot, I mean, correct, they do a lot of different, you know, they do different things, but they're all kind of, well, I don't know, it's just, it's because of that whole, like, no one actually lives in D.C. They just kind of pass through.
0: in the shoes of a founding father
1: i always am wearing the shoes of a founding father
0: i forgot you bought those at auction (laughs) so capital right now it's you know sort of pre-country maybe you just won the revolutionary war it's all a little fuzzy you're not sure you've been drinking heavily um
1: like a founding father
0: just like a founding father the capital is currently philadelphia and now we have to find a better capital, because that's not going to work. And you have a second problem. Not only do you not know where your capital is supposed to be, but you have all these states that owe debts due to the amount of money they put into fighting the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. Can you kill two birds with one stone, Catherine?
1: Yeah, I think I could.
0: How would you do that?
1: I, uh, I think I might um, put my capital... In a more of a centrally placed, maybe a little bit more southern location to appease the southern states who want uh, a capital that's friendly to slave-holding agricultural interests.
0: Hmm. And what about your second bird? Now, the answer, I'll tell you right now, the answer is basically uh, because Virginia and Maryland ceded land to the federal government, that was like okay, we'll take on all your debts now. Like, that was them paying the debts. Oh. So, D.C. came to be settled on the two existing ports of Georgetown, Maryland and Alexandria, Virginia. (laughs) Catherine, I have a follow-up question to your education discussion. Yeah. Would you like to be rich? (laughs) Yes. Great. I had a friend once who, uh, when we were talking about life goals, sort of turned to me and uh, conspiratorially went, I want to be famous. It was (laughs) great. Here's a dichotomy. You can't be famous in D.C. I'm sorry. You can do that in L.A. You can do it in New York. If you're real lucky, you can do it elsewhere. But in D.C., you could probably be rich. In fact, the median household income in Washington DC is $61,000.
1: Wow. That's a lot of money for that a median. A, that's a lot of money. Yeah.
0: It's a little crazy.
1: Wonder what the mean is.
0: That's a good question. I actually don't have that number.
1: Cuz I'd like to see is there a huge underclass here that's not being represented?
0: Great question. Yes.
4: I mean, the poor areas of the city tend to be in the eastern sections, east of the, east of the Anacostia River, right. called Ward 7 and 8. There's a lack of um, shopping centers, supermarkets, restaurants.
2: In Anacostia, the uneducated simply outnumber the educated. Not that education is everything, but politicians play residents. People in a neglected part of town come out against the very transportation initiatives that are designed to increase access points to the west. How smart is that? I don't think anybody will open businesses, thereby increasing jobs in an area inundated with too many social services, resulting in people out on the street. Like I'm really gonna take my wife and kids to a sit-down restaurant in that type of environment, despite being walkable. We never walk to the library. People with families don't want their kids constantly seeing liquor stores and laundromats and people out doing nothing, standing around, wasting time. Anonymous
4: Rant on AnacostiaNow.com Twenty, twenty-five years ago, I think it was called Murder Capital because it had the highest number of murders per capita in the country. I mean, ever since the dot-com era, I mean, there's still murders there, but let's say 20, 25 years ago, there were 425, 450 murders a year. Last year, I think there were about 100, which still isn't good, but it's a huge reduction.
3: You know, I'm told there are areas that are still like that, but to be honest, I, you know, I don't wander around D.C. that much by myself. But it's, I really think they, they really was gentrified quite a bit of the city. And that you go to other cities, and the nice parts of those cities, if only on the outside, look much worse than the bad parts of D.C. Granted, there are some parts of D.C. that I have not been to along the Anacostia River, which is kind of down by where they build the Navy ships, uh, sort of, southeast. And I don't spend much time there, so I'm not going to talk about that. But, like, the rest of D.C., even in, like, the rougher neighborhoods, not that really, really not that rough.
4: And then downtown D.C. has the highest real estate costs outside of Manhattan.
1: My buddy Nick lived in D.C. for three months, and he told me that renting a room in D.C., just a room, not an apartment, is $900 a month.
0: (laughs) It is the most uh, expensive area to live, or at least one of the most expensive areas to live in the country.
1: But... You don't make any money if you live there, it looks like.
0: No, you do. It depends on where in the city you live. If you're educated, you make a median household income of Mm
1: $61,000.
0: If you're not educated, you make a lot less. Also, it's super hard for you to get educated because it's way too expensive to live there and you can't put any money towards school.
1: Right. So... That sucks.
0: sucks.
4: Hi, this is Metro Transit Police Chief Michael Cagorn reminding you if you are in urgent need of police assistance while riding in the Metro system. Please
1: call Metro Police. Now, Washington, D.C. was actually founded on July 16th, 1790. The citizens of areas Virginia and Maryland became citizens of the district and basically lost governmental representation.
0: Which kind of sucks. If yeah. someone were just like, yeah, hey, by the way, you live in a uh, different state now and you can't vote for anything. Hmm. That's not fair. Kind of crummy.
1: Yeah. But I assume, I don't know, wouldn't it be easy to move out of there if you wanted to?
0: Well, sure. But do you know about Centralia, Pennsylvania? It's that city that has uh, has had a coal fire burning underneath it for like 60 years. And they didn't want to move. Exactly. People don't want to move. That's a fair point.
2: Strange stories reach our ears as we journey from place to place about these old stones and their virtues. No doubt the laws of the states or the district relating to the sale of intoxicating liquors are at the bottom of many of the stories concerning the frequent removal of the stones and their replacement in a new and more favorable location. Historian Fred E. Woodward on the stones that mark the original ten square miles of the district.
0: There was a congressional act that basically said that, okay, the District of Columbia will be a 10-mile-by-10-mile square and it'd be comprised of two counties, Alexandria County to the west of the Potomac River and Washington County to the east of the Potomac River. Interesting. If I were to tell you that one of those counties went back, and keep in mind that one of those counties is called Washington County, <laughs> which county do you think was kept?
1: Um, probably Washington County. Nailed it. Yes. Every once in a while, (laughs) Tim, I come in there. When you least expect it.
0: (laughs) Wham! Catherine! The county of Alexandria was actually given back in 1846 to Virginia, and basically the reasoning was, well, it's not very nice anymore. Bitchy. I know, right? (laughs) Well, the thing about it was, the federal government is in charge of managing the District of Columbia. There was no, you know, there's no state government. There's no, um, there was no municipal government. Mm -hmm. And so they just kind of forgot about it because it wasn't where they lived and they were busy. Metro, Metro, Metro. Hey, Catherine, Metro. Metro. Metro.
1: Metro. Can you believe it? What? What? What are we talking about?
0: Metro. Metro. The Metro. Metro. The Metro system is DC's underground train system. It's a subway. Uh, It also includes a a bus system. I think they're all related, but whatevs. The Metro is awesome. It's the nation's third largest. It has five rail lines and 106 miles of track and 86 stations. But it's a big deal. DC Metro is a big deal. It's uh, how people really get around quite a bit. Mm -hmm. That's
1: excellent. That's good to hear.
0: It's also easy to get around on. The metro. Is it really? Yeah, it's very clear, very straightforward. This is not your New York subway where it's like, okay, so you take the green six square and then loop around three times and then do a jig on the star (laughs) line.
1: How does it compare to the Caltrain and the Muni and stuff?
0: Uh, The difference between that is that the metro is designed to fundamentally serve all the commuting needs for the metro area of Washington, D.C., whereas Caltrain and uh, all the different sort of San Francisco public transit systems are purpose designed. So, BART is designed to get people to and from East Bay over long distances. Um, Muni is sort of designed to handle a couple very specific transit routes through the city, specifically to get you around hills. And Caltrain is designed to get people up and down from the tech corridors in Silicon Valley up into the city and back and forth.
1: Interesting.
0: And Metro sort of just handles it all. And so that's a lot simpler and it's a lot easier for visitors to understand. Oh, okay. Interesting. It's a user-friendly city.
4: And and Washington now is a very aggressive driving city. It's grown a lot. It's The metro area is over 5 million people and... I would say Washington is much more aggressive than either L.A. or San Francisco when you drive. So when you drive the freeways like in L.A. or San Francisco, there's traffic, but everybody's not on top of each other. There'll be lags, and in Washington, everyone's on top of each other. You are expected to close immediately, close the distance in the traffic. If you're not closing the distance, then people will come in and cut you off because you are expected to be on top of the people behind you.
3: I always find D.C. very user-friendly, and that maybe is a hard thing for people to understand, but it's like, I can get on the metro, and I am confident that I can get anywhere in that city that I need to get. I will have to look at a map, but I never have any idea where I'm going, even if I've been there before. I usually still have to look at the metro map to make sure I know that I'm getting off the right stop, but I'm, but I'm comfortable doing that on my own, but yeah, I don't really associate it as my city. If I had to pick a city, I'd still pick Boston. Which is funny, I've spent much less time there. So I guess, while I feel confident in navigating it, I don't feel like, you know, I think when when the time comes to me to move away, I won't miss it.
0: Do you remember Daniel Burnham?
1: Yeah. A friend of mine. Yeah. Yeah. We're you Go to high school with him. Yes.
0: I happen to know you went to high school in California, not too far from San Francisco, which is the city in which we discussed. Ooh, a lot of modifiers here. Yes. Daniel Burnham, who was a famous designer in early 1900s, late 1800s. Yep hmm And remember, his design uh, didn't go into place because the morning that he handed in the plans, a great earthquake destroyed the city. Rough.
1: It was planned. It was staged.
0: <laughs> Just like the moon landing. <laughs> the other thing that was interesting about Daniel Burnham's plan, besides the fact that it never got into place because of a stupid earthquake, was that... Spoke in grand terms trying to be, make San Francisco like Napoleonic Paris. Sound familiar?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) You have three guesses about what other city in the United States was designed to be like Napoleonic Paris.
1: Paris, Texas.
0: Paris... All I've got is Hilton.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Washington, D.C.?
0: Oh, ugh. Oh, my goodness. I I was still on Paris puns. (laughs) That's right. Uh, It was designed by Pierre-Charles L'Enfant, who is a real big wheel around Washington, D.C. There's actually a a metro station named for him, a region. It's, you know, (laughs) L'Enfant. Tell me uh, three things about him, in order.
1: He's a French-born American architect and civil engineer. He uh, enrolled to fight in the American Revolution and closely identified with the U.S. Mm. And he served in General George Washington's staff as a captain of engineers with Washington at Valley Forge.
0: The big difference between what L'Enfant did and what Daniel Burnham tried to do in San Francisco is that L'Enfant's design was fantastically successful. The city is laid out with sweeping boulevards and ceremonial spaces, and there's lots of... Big traffic circles or roundabouts or whatever you like to call them.
1: Ceremonial spaces? Like, for sacrificing goats and what have you?
0: Uh, yes. As you know, Freemasonry is uh, well-founded within D.C. But more likely... Ceremonial spaces here, we're, we're really referring to... If you, if you go to D.C., uh, I was thinking, I mentioned traffic circles specifically because there's a lot of roads that everything will sort of come together in these broad avenues, um, and they'll, they'll form a web, which will hit a traffic circle. Mm-hmm. And inside the traffic circle, and they're really big traffic circles. Right. I mean, quarter mile diameter. I mean, wow. that's, that's an estimate that I'm sure is way off. They tend to have sort of parks with statues in them. Interesting. Things like that. Yeah. So that's what we mean when we say ceremonial spaces.
4: Especially in Arlington. They they won some type of zoning award. People visit Arlington, Virginia, they tell me, from all around the world, to see the urban village concept where you have very high density directly around the metro station and then have gradual density away from it, so... A mile away, you'll have single-family homes, but then it will be townhomes, and then it will be apartments and condos and, you know, um, commercial office buildings. I don't want to say it's worked out perfectly, but, I mean, they tell me that it's, like, one of the best examples of its type in the country.
0: Urban design just works there. Really? Even though so many other places we've looked at, it's just been like, huh, well, that didn't work. (laughs)
1: That's true. Why do you think it worked in D.C. but nowhere else?
0: Uh, A number of reasons. I think that... I think that there is a lot of money going into designing and planning. I think the designing and planning started before any real city was there. So, unlike, say... Let's take Minneapolis-St. Paul, which formed because there was a fort, and then a trading center, and then a lot of immigrants moved in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then, you know, you start trying to design it after you go, oh, shit, there's a city here. In contrast, D.C. was just... It was Georgetown, Maryland and Alexandria, Virginia, these, you know, little sleepy ports that I'm sure had some stuff going on, but whatever. But it was basically steamrolled over by DC, uh, um, as all the, you know, federal money went into making this the grandest city in the country. And I, so I think that's, that's one of the biggest reasons, really.
1: Yeah. It, um, it tells, ta- or it dovetails really nicely with the Stottgeist of the city. Uh, Being that we all need to be really well polished Everything needs to look just so Do you agree?
0: Yeah That's a major layer of the city It's presentational Mm -hmm. Because it's the city we present to the rest of the world Let's talk about let's talk about American history that you took during school. Do you remember how many times you took American history? Only twice. Are you sure? Yep. It was probably more.
1: Fifth grade was national it was U.S. history. Then again yep. in eighth grade. Eighth grade, and then in eleventh grade.
0: And then in eleventh grade, exactly. So you got it three times, um, and possibly you probably got a few sort of like light versions of it first through third grade. Yeah yeah
1: propaganda versions
0: here's the thing every single one of those probably mentioned well maybe not the first few but from fifth grade on you probably heard the war of 1812 Mm. um during the war of 1812 the british marched on washington and burned it to the ground it was a big deal they had to sort of redo the whole city
1: wow
2: The American capital was nothing more than a gawky village, a mere embryo of the city it aspired to be. The clammy expanses of its Potomac site were still almost barren and certainly bleak. It was the hottest summer in memory and no rain had fallen for three weeks. The dusty roads were clogged with desperate refugees, their meager possessions spilling over in the stampede to escape. By the time the British set foot on Capitol Hill after sunset on Wednesday, August 24, 1814, about 90% of Washington's residents had bolted. Anthony S. Pitch, Historian.
4: See, it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing now? Figure it out. And New York tends to be that way, but it's more money-focused. D.C. tends to be more occupation-focused. You
3: know, I'm on, like, various email lists, or, like, these are the events that are happening in D.C., and as one of my friends put it, people in D.C., they take their work very seriously. They take their fun very seriously, too. And it's going to be organized and it's going to be, like, set up. And, like, this is, these are the days that these things are going on and these are the events that we're going to go to and these are the very, like, structured, almost structured sort of social interactions that we are going to attempt to have. So I did go to one of the events and it was, like, and it was a mixer. That's what it was. It's like, I, I you know, like what everything that you think of when you think of a mixer. That's what it was. That they caught a bunch of people together. It was at a bar, and we did an activity, and it was intended to have us interact with people who we hadn't met before.
4: Oh, so originally the city, okay, definitely the city was Southern. If you go through World War II and into the 50s and segregation, there were a lot of long-time um, Southern congressmen and senators that enforced very strict codes in the city and on the metropolitan area, and it operated on a Southern basis. The Washington Redskins were the last NFL team in the country to desegregate, for (laughs) instance— But as, you know, accelerating forward, it seems to be less and less that way all the time. I've lived there all my life, and I'm older than you think. When I was younger, you know, if you go to Richmond or you go to Philadelphia, Richmond's, I I would say, the first true southern city. Philadelphia is like the true first northern city. Baltimore and Washington are somewhere in between. And when I was younger... I would think that Washington, the social patterns were more toward Richmond. But as time moves around and, this, and the entire country becomes more homogenous, I think Washington is, um, I don't want to say more northern, but definitely less southern. So it could be more Californian, for instance, even though it's not um, anywhere near California.
0: Uh, the question then is, what do you think? What do I think? Yeah.
1: Um, honestly, this whole deal, this whole city makes me really excited to do Vegas and compare Vegas to DC. Because <laughs> there's some obvious differences for sure, but I think they have some key things in common.
0: I bet. They're planned, like, right?
1: Yeah, they're both planned cities. Um, they both have, at least one part of the city had a great deal of thought put into how it would be planned and how it would be laid out. It's all about polish, it's all about the outer sheen.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's something of a, uh, this Washington DC, it's something of a, a two-faced monster. That's very negative. Absolutely. Uh, a two-faced, um, hmm. To me it seems like Washington DC is is it's something of a a southern city mm-hmm. as we heard but it's sort of been plastered over by the federal administrative city that was it was declared would go in that place so that we could relieve Virginia and Maryland of its debts.
1: Yeah. It's um it's that plastered part that really interests me, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I, so when I was when I was thinking about that sort of thesis, I wondered if plastered was really the word I want. Because I don't know if it's a negative or a positive thing. I really don't.
1: I think it's... Well, I mean, as someone who can plaster on makeup some days, I don't think it's a negative <laughs> thing.
0: <laughs> I think this is the gentrification problem. The neighborhood gets nicer, but it's not necessarily good news for everybody who lives there. The city gets nicer, but it's not necessarily good news for the city that would exist without these, this sort of federal declaration that this will be our capital. Does that make sense?
1: Hmm. No, I don't. I, I mean, it makes sense what you're saying. I understand your point, but I don't think I agree with you.
0: You don't think there's a, a level of uh, gentrification going on?
1: I mean, I I understand your point and I see what's happening, but I think it's good for the city. Because, I mean, if DC wasn't the capital and didn't have this pressure to look so polished and be so plastered, it wouldn't be as interesting as it is. It wouldn't be as complex. It might just be kind of a smaller towny type of city.
0: I'm not positive that's a bad thing. I mean, did, do you, did you hear the part about, um, it's sort of, uh, it's hard to call your own. This is a... a- city that's easy to slip into but it's hard to it's hard to say it has character you know not a lot of people you know repping being from dc and maybe there are but they're certainly not the people from the gentrified area
1: i do recall that and it reminded me again of vegas um because there are so many people who don't live in vegas that say oh vegas is my kind of town mm-hmm. so there's sort of an opposite effect
0: going on there that's very interesting One of my questions when I was putting all this together was a lot of times we see cities as a mosaic or a melting pot, but I don't think I see this sort of thing where, well, we've got one city and then by some sort of decree, we just sort of lay another city on top of it and they stay fairly independent of each other. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Las Vegas is a great example. So look forward to that, folks. Coming up in one month, we'll be talking about Las Vegas, and we will see whether or not our amateur discussion on this holds up. What do you think? I'm excited. All right. I'm glad. Look forward for next week, one more thing to be excited, about our very first happy hour with Tim and Catherine. No, it's not. Is it? What is it?
1: Get the order straight, Tim. It's Unique Instruments. We're doing instruments and architecture.
0: Oh, that sounds boring.
1: Yeah, but you're going to get excited once I, I give you the notes.
0: <laughs> I love it when you hand me notes. That's true. Stay tuned for <laughs> Instruments and Architecture and in two weeks for a Happy Hour with Tim and Catherine. It's all coming down now, folks. It's all coming down now. And to you, dear listener, I hope that you have a great week. I hope that... Every day gets a little bit better and maybe you get something done, you know, Uh, make some bread, uh, wash the car, uh, you know, read a book or call a friend. Call your mom. She misses you. Really? She always appreciates it.
1: And I don't want her to keep calling me and telling me to tell you to call her. (laughs) Just call your mom.
0: Seriously. Get on it, folks. You've got one week. We'll see you soon. Until then, that's Catherine Cogart over there.
1: Hi, and Tim Dobbs over here.
0: Nailed it. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
1: Bye. Put
0: down your phone and I'll
3: tell you what's happening next. Honey, you're passing the test. She sees what she wants to see.
0: This episode of the Doom to Fail Podcast featured the voices and ideas of Dan Gray, Jenny Reynolds, and James Kinney. We really appreciate their time and we're so glad they can make the time to talk to us. This episode also featured music by Jeremy Denk, New York Military Band and the American Quartet, Noy, Room for a Ghost, A Far Cry, Marco Rophorst, and Panda Bear. To subscribe to the Doom to Fail podcast, visit our website at doomedfailpodcast.blogspot.com. If you like the show, please review us on iTunes. It really makes a big difference for us. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon.